Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of my favorite ordinary fall things are snuggly sweaters, crisp, cool evenings, and digging all my boots back out of the closet again. And a few of mine are apples from the local orchard, the cashmere sweater I found at a thrift store, and the first fire in our wood stove. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, for all the things that fall has taken away from us this year... (laughs) There's one thing that has remained, Christy, that has come through like a bright, shining lighthouse in this gloomy (laughs) season. Something that I ordered back, I looked it up specifically for this episode. I ordered it on January 23rd, 2020. I pre-ordered and at the time have no idea how much I would need a lighthouse come September. (laughs) That's right. No idea. Oh, man. It arrived September 2nd. And we're talking about it here on September 30th because I just got done reading and had time to sit with it. And I'm now ready to talk about my longstanding love (laughs) in this (laughs) series of books written by Louise Penny because the latest one showed up trustworthy and true for us here in the fall. And it truly was one of the few things I was looking forward to that was not canceled this fall. That's right. No one canceled our favorite book series, and it showed up just when we needed it. I felt just the same way. Just when we needed it most, yes. And I was almost afraid to start reading it because I just thought I can't, like, I was anticipating my sorrow of it being over before mm-hmm. I had even begun, and I was afraid for it to be over. And my husband said to me, I have never seen someone take notes in a fiction book before. Oh. <laughs> And yet, I do. I have a whole system, so you guys settle in. Don't worry, there will be no spoilers. But we thought today's conversation, we would lean into one of our favorite ordinary things, a book series by one of our favorite authors. And we would unpack why we love it so much, because what we've realized is it's because this book celebrates what we take so seriously on this podcast. And not just this book, this whole series constantly celebrates the idea that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. And these books are a celebration of ordinary life that acts as an anchor in the storms that swirl around these characters. And could there be a more appropriate concept for all of us living here in 2020 than this. That is so true. You know, I think I, so I not only adore this series, but um, I love mystery novels in general. It's Mm -hmm. my favorite genre, favorite genre of fiction in particular. And I think (laughs) I love it because it is so much not like my life, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's no murder in my life at all. Thank the good Lord. And yeah. Um, so it's not at all like like my life, but you're right. Louise Penny's books are different. They reading these books roots me in my own life to the extent, Lisa Joe, that I 
I can remember the first time I did it, and now I do it every time I read one of her books. It's it's like I have to. It's a compulsion. I'll read a few lines, and then I realize I must stop, get up, go to my kitchen, and make something <laughs> I never otherwise make. I must make myself a cafe au lait in a sort of bowl-like cup in the way that I imagine Inspector Gamache drinks it there in the little <laughs> Quebec village of Three Pines. And then I will bring my little bowl of cafe au lait back to my book because it is so much more than a book. It's so much more than a novel. It's like intersection of my reading life and my real life in all the best ways. <laughs> oh, all the best ways. All right. So for some context, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, that's surprising to me since we have talked about this now for years. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> Where clearly you, you don't follow me on Instagram because <laughs> I now, I think this is my third year of Louise Penny books coming out and posting like a psycho about it. It's on, on my Instagram stories, Chrissy, it's the most reactionary conversations I have is around these books. Like people, hundreds and hundreds, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic, hundreds of people message me wow. about them. Hundreds of people send me screenshots that they're either queued up in the library or they just ordered it or, and I get messages all year round. Like, usually it's like, thank you and I hate you because thank you for introducing to me to the series and now I hate you because I have to check out of my life in order to read all of these books, <laughs> yeah. which is what I did when I discovered the series. The book that just came out is number 16 in what's called the Chief Inspector Gamache series. They are written by Louise Penny, who lives in Quebec. She's Canadian, but she's an Anglophile. So she speaks English, but she's rooted in this Quebec-y, Quebecois, I don't know how to pronounce it, community. So she has, you know, French-speaking friends, and the book's really are wonderful for many reasons, one of them being that they're rooted in this specific time and place, in this cultural space in Canada that walks these lines between cultures and languages. Um, and she's been writing them for a long time now. There's 16 of them. And she's a wonderful just story to all of us who are beginning new seasons of our lives here at Midlife because she famously was a reporter, a radio reporter for many years. And when she was 40, she finally quit that job in order to chase this dream of writing books. And for I think it was like four years. She couldn't write anything. It was a disaster. <laughs> she felt like a fraud. Everyone was yeah. always asking her, how's the book going? How's the book going? And she had nothing oh, no. to show for her time. She was trying to write, you know, the great Canadian novel. And then she realized one night sitting next to her bed, the books she loves were all mystery books. And she thought, why don't I give it a shot? And that's what she did. She invented this village located in Quebec, just like her own is. And uh, decided to write four books. They would be based one in each of the seasons. And so the same characters exist throughout all of the arc of her stories. And she decided she'd write these four whether or not they got picked up. And of course, you know, as the story goes, they ended up becoming wildly popular. And she's an instant New York Times bestseller anytime a new one comes out because the characters have become family to all of us. And every time I start a new book, I think, oh, what are my friends up to? <laughs> what are yeah. they doing? And <laughs> it's why Christy makes Cafe LA. It's why I read with a pencil and take notes now because it's like tracing a family tree sort of when you start a new book. Yeah. And I know you have shared before in this podcast, Lisa Joe, like how relation, how tuned into relationships and you are when you read books. And so you, you love books because you feel like, and you reread books because you feel like yeah. these are your friends yes. or almost your family. And I don't do that. I'm not, I am much more tuned into language and beauty. Mm. Like that's what really 
really gets me. But these books, I tell you, it's, it is an exception because I still remember the first time. So I probably started reading them maybe 10 books ago, right? So maybe when I started, there were, um, the first four were definitely out. So maybe I was, you know, maybe five or six had come out. And so I remember, I think I got to the second book and realized, oh, we are going to revisit the same little place and the same people. And I was so happy, so happy. (laughs) And then as I started to realize, oh, each book will have its own story, but it will link up and tell larger stories about these characters that I was beginning to love. So I feel like this series is the one that I feel like you and I are on the save wavelength. Like this is more than just novel. These are people we've come to know and love, and we get to spend time with them again with with each book, which is so much fun, so much fun. Which means it is very important that you do not read these books out of order. We will put a link in the show notes. You must start with book number one and work your way forward, or else it will be very confusing. While you could theoretically jump in, you will miss a ton of backstory. And so you really want to grow with the characters. You want Mm -hmm. to meet them. You want to understand who moves in and out of the village, what motivates them, what's their backstory, what moves them. You need all of that in order to get the many, many layers that she bakes into this cake. So Mm -hmm. speaking of cake Mm -hmm. and Café (laughs) Olay, Food plays a tremendous role in these books. And I think it's one of the reasons we love these books so Mm -hmm, much because mm -hmm. you can just sink into the places they're describing. So there's a local village bakery and there is um, a library, but that really is also this cozy nook in town where you can sit with your friends and drink coffee. And then there is the heart and soul of the town, which is the bistro. And it's described so viscerally. And you can Mm -hmm. picture the beautiful grass um, vistas outside the window in the summertime with the kids playing. And in the wintertime, it describes the crackling ice and the frost and everybody's gathered around the fire, you know, drinking hot chocolate and cafe au lait and eating croissants. Oh, the way they talk about croissants. Every time I read these books, you have cafe au lait. I have to go out and like, go find a bakery, <laughs> like right. not like Panera or, you know, Safeway's bakery. I have to find an actual bakery yeah. to buy baked goods because I suddenly feel the need to consume them while eating these words. <laughs> so true. I, as you were talking, I remembered something else, you know, in those first few books when I realized that here was a writer who was going to keep her stories really rooted, not only in a place, but in the season. So all of our listeners know how I feel about seasonal rhythms and the beauty of creation through the seasons. And her first four books actually follow the four seasons, um, which I love. But then even after that, as she moved beyond that sort of first quartet, we're always rooted in weather, place, seasons, holidays. And so I think that's, that's, That's a big part of why I feel like these books are not this disconnected thing from my life because I can, I can step into the book and I'm still in the world that I inhabit and that I love. The world that Louise Penny loves is the world that I love and we meet in these books. <laughs> I love that too. So place and character. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the main place is called Three Pines and it's this, you know, fictional village that I love the way Louise describes Three Pines is she says, while it might be a fictional place, Three Pines exists anytime you inhabit the world of believing the best about people about 
the world of kindness, the world of courage, the world of making brave choices, the world of family and friendship. She describes that that is the place we go to when we are in Three Pines. And I love that. And in the novels, it's this small village that's hard to find on maps. And it's identified by these three large pine trees that mark the place where people settled. And Initially, in the first few books, Three Pines is just the scene of a murder. That's what it is. And so a high-ranking police officer comes out from Quebec to Three Pines. Um, Oh, sorry, not from Quebec. He comes out from Montreal. He comes from Montreal out to Three Pines in Quebec province, not Quebec City, to visit and investigate this murder. That's where it begins. That is our first introduction to this town. And initially, we experience it as a backdrop, Right. Mm-hmm. And and what we get to experience is the main character, uh, Chief Inspector Gamache, who comes out to investigate the murder in the village of Three Pines. Over the series of the novels, then, we are like him, introduced to this village and its characters and initially only experience them as murder suspects. But then over time, they become our friends the way they become his friends. And like Mm -hmm. him, we spend more and more time visiting the village and hanging (laughs) out in the bistro and eating the food. And then when he eventually purchases a house to live in the village, we too get to move into Mm -hmm. Three Pines and feel like, oh, this is our home as well. And I love that about how she sets it up. So what often is just background in murder mysteries isn't. It becomes actually the foreground, and then it becomes the focus of a lot of her storytelling, this unique village and its characters. I, so bear with me, this is related. I am remembering an essay by C.S. Lewis, I believe, um, somewhere he writes about um, an author he loved, so he loved George MacDonald, who was a Scottish uh, writer who wrote uh, fairy tales, really. He wrote fairy tales. And so C.S. Lewis um, writes about MacDonald and, and credits MacDonald in his faith journey. Oh, and a little side note, have you noticed that Louise Penny often quotes C.S. Lewis? And yes. she quotes so. George MacDonald. I feel like she's actually quoted oh, him, too. Interesting. And I, I'm sure you're right. I'll have to, I, It's an excuse to reread and take notes. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so C.S. Lewis is very relevant. Um, so, C.S. Lewis credited George MacDonald um, as, you know, this important influence in his faith journey, his journey from atheism to Christianity, because he says he found something in George MacDonald's stories that he called, C.S. Lewis called, goodness. Mm. He saw goodness in these fairy tales, and it was something that— um, I actually have goosebumps, like, came up on my arms as I said even that word, goodness— it's a word that in our language is so ordinary, we can pass over it. Uh, oh, yeah, that's 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 good. You know, we just use it as this filler word. Um, but in George MacDonald's literary fictional world, C.S. Lewis sort of stumbled over this this thing that was that the, this thing that he called goodness. What what was it? it? It surprised him. It astonished him. He couldn't. It was like a puzzle, a mystery. He couldn't figure out what is this goodness. Um, and we. Especially if you read murder mysteries, like we're used to thinking about badness, badness yes, right? Right? Yes. Evil, you know, yes. we have bad guys, you know, and we have our heroes. But I feel like badness and evil are so intense, right? There, there, that's, ooh, that's darkness. It is so overpowering. And so often in our storytelling, goodness looks like the superhero who, who, 
who is just as sort of magnificent as the villain and they duke it out, right? And it's the ordinary people in the middle who are sort of caught in this like cosmic battle, right? Between the hero and the villain. But there's something about goodness that doesn't belong to superheroes. It belongs to ordinary people, small, small delights of daily life. It belongs to marriages. It belongs to friendships. It belongs to um, the relationship between a father and his children. It, it belongs to grandparenting, which has become a theme in the stories. It belongs to community it resides deeply and richly in just the absolute ordinary aspects of our lives. Um, giving birth, dying, sitting down for a meal, right? Reading a good book, watching a sunrise, like just the most ordinary stuff. This is where goodness lives. And this is what Penny sets up against, like George MacDonald, I think, sets up against evil. Yes. Darkness. And it is enough. We don't need that superhero um, swooping in with his cape, right, to save us. It is enough to live a, a, a good life and make good choices. That is enough to defeat evil. It's, um, it's like, it, it does. It gives me goosebumps. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I, it's why it resonates so deeply with you and I, I believe, how she writes. And one of the things I love about her writing that's so interesting is that I would describe her crime novels as, I would actually call it like a morality crime novel. Because okay. as you mentioned, goodness is at the heart of what she's interested in. And so she's not writing about the deed of murder, the mm -hmm. act of murder. She's writing about the arrow of it that points back into the soul of the person committing the murder to understand what went wrong in their soul mm -hmm. to twist what was good into something bad. And nowhere have I read anybody who's that good at really sifting out those motivations, except maybe Christ himself. Because on the <laughs> Sermon on the Mount, when Christ talks about how murder begins in the heart, right? He uh -huh, says uh -huh. to hate your brother is to kill him. And, and Louise Penny, I believe, really teases out that concept. Her, each story digs into the murder, not just the facts of the murder, not just the CSI crime scene investigation phase of a murder. Instead, mm -hmm. it tries to understand what Christ is identifying happens in somebody's heart. And mm -hmm. she has this really powerful quote in her book, A Rule Against Murder. There's this wonderful quote. She says, what killed people wasn't a bullet a blade, a fist to the face. What killed people was a feeling left too long, sometimes in the cold, frozen, sometimes buried and fetid, and sometimes on the shores of a lake, isolated, left to grow old and odd. And Ooh. she talks about that feeling we have that might start as jealousy, it might start as irritation, it might start as comparison, it might start as hatred, the way Christ describes. But she always identifies that feeling and says murder begins decades before the act, and it begins in the heart. And I think it's why her books are so enduring, because she doesn't just write crime scene investigation stories. She writes what I would think of as like soul scene investigation, where she's digging into the soul to unpack what motivated the action that finally led 
to a murder. And mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. few mystery writers are interested in that part of the murder investigation. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I speak as someone who reads many and watches many more. I love also to watch uh, British murder mysteries on TV. So, yeah, it's true. And it's interesting to me, you know, as a person of faith, as a Christian, that there have been many and there are many mystery writers who um, are also Christians, the golden age of mysteries. You have writers who, you know, were professing Christians and that was their chosen genre. And so there is something about um, having a, you know, a religious sensibility, asking spiritual questions, being tuned in to, um, you know, big questions around uh, good and evil that I think fits really well with this genre. And yet you're right, Louise Penny, um, more than any other, is less about the puzzle of the mystery. That's absolute there. That's what keeps you turning pages. Um, but it is more, it's about relationships, it's about community, and it's about what, I'll just call it sin, what what greed and murder and, you know, the other dark things that she uncovers in these stories, what those do to relationships, what they do to communal bonds, how they, um, you know, they break things that are ordinary, but so good. And it's only in the, when they're broken through evil and bad choices, wrong choices, that you realize how precious the thing you had was. So things we might take for granted, right? Like family relationships or friendships or, you know, neighborliness, you know, things that we just, oh, yes, yes, this is just, you know, this is, yeah, this is good stuff about about the world. Um, when it's broken in these stories, it's like, oh, no, this isn't just, this is a treasure. This, these are the true treasures, right? These relationships and these ordinary rhythms of, of living and of caring for your neighbor, of like loving. I feel like these books are like, it's, it like shows us how to love your neighbor as yourself. Like that, mm. that's what Inspector Gamash is all about, right? Like loving his neighbor as himself. And, um, you know, the, the characters are so quirky and funny and unique and and so neighborliness is not like sanitized it's you know they're they're all so it's not a whole you know they bicker and yeah some of the people some of the people are really like difficult i'm thinking of the great poet character uh ruth and yet they go on in loving one another and caring for one another and being good neighbors to one another um, and it's it's just incredibly powerful in helping us as we do on this podcast, right? We say like we want we don't want to help you seize the day. We want to help you see the day. And I feel like these very um, sweet mystery stories actually, in a powerful way, help me see my own life and my own world, and sort of help me kind of remove that dingy veil that like kind of obscures our ordinary life, where we just go about doing our stuff and sort of forgetting that we're actually living these phenomenal stories if we are a grandparent or if we are a neighbor or if we are a a mother or a daughter like there's treasure in that but you put down a louise penny novel and you're aware again yeah you are you're not just aware of the cafe au lait you're aware of the people in your home and the people next door i think it's why she often sets her big showdowns of good versus evil in these completely ordinary settings where suddenly the stakes are so high because it's not like it's the stakes to protect the treasure or gold or money or your fancy house. Instead, the stakes are, here's my wife that I love. Here's my child. Yeah. Here's this restaurant and cafe owner who we've loved forever serving food, oblivious that some terrible act is going to happen in his midst. It's that backdrop 
that makes the stakes so much higher because it's those ordinary things that are the anchors of goodness that we hold on to when the world around us feels like it's exploding. Mm-hmm. And I think if I were to pick a favorite of her novels, Glass Houses is one of my very, very favorite ones. And it's because the big showdown, and I won't give anything away, but it happens, of course it does, in Three Pines, you know, in the bistro. There mm-hmm. is where the big moment of reckoning happens while dinner is being served, yeah. <laughs> you know, like while they're talking about grilling salmon. Like I actually remember the specific of that. Like the wives are, they don't know what's happening and the detectives are there and they understand that they're in the midst of this incredibly dangerous moment and their families don't know. And the women are talking about grilling salmon and giving the baby a bath. And you're watching all of this as a reader with your eyes popping out of your head because you know this horrible risk that they're in the middle of. And yet, it's the completely ordinary Saturday afternoon walking Mm -hmm. out to the grill that's become the greatest treasure in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And I love her juxtaposition of these, the total ordinariness that she equates with goodness, righteousness, holiness, you know, all the things that Christ talks about his kingdom being about. There they are. While being threatened simultaneously by evil and avarice and greed and crime and jealousy, the rottenness that's sitting right there in the bistro next door to the family who are planning their salmon dinner. And isn't that the way of evil, right? Like from the very beginning, snaking its way into the garden and trying to twist and obliterate the completely sacred gift of ordinary goodness that God gives us in mm-hmm. in food mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And so those moments for me and how Gamash, Chief Inspector Gamash is a true North because he utterly embodies the goodness of ordinary life and values it. And along with it, kindness and believing the best about people and not gossiping and not giving into pride and You know, in these books, you watch how he's humbled, like terrible things happen to him, and he's willing to allow them to happen in order to accomplish the protection of Mm -hmm, what we mm -hmm. think of as our so-called ordinary lives. And you just, his his (laughs) complete embodiment of the protector of all things ordinary and good is so powerful that Mm -hmm. I close a book like that and I think, yes, you know, like I am going to, I mean, I really do feel that way. I'm going to wash these dishes or make that tea for my kid or help with that homework. And suddenly those tasks feel like very brave and very courageous. Yeah. Yeah. The the old English professor in me wants to insist now that you're right. Gamash is a real Christ figure in these mm-hmm. books. And I say that even though these are not religious novels, no. these are not Christian books. And you, she, they're absolutely, she doesn't claim to be a Christian. No, at, no, not at all. But, you know, Lisa Joe, you and I are, and we're reading it, you know, we, and so we read books or we um, look at art with that lens because um, that's our faith. And it's, it's there that Gamash is like this Christ figure, not only in his you know, the way he protects, but in the way he willingly takes on suffering, real yeah. suffering in order to um, redeem or 
restore something that has gone wrong. Like he's in numerous ways, he's he's willing to do that. And as well to take on shame. Mm. So a constant theme, a persistent theme is that there are so many people who get the wrong idea about him because they don't understand why he did what he did and it looks shameful. And so they, you know, might um, gossip about him or write news stories about him and he is shamed publicly. He's not seen by everyone as a good man. And yet the shame is, is, is part of the suffering he's willing to bear. He's willing to hold on because he knows it's for this larger good. And so he's willing to humble himself and be shamed publicly in order to do the right thing, in order to do the good, the good thing. Um, it's so, so powerful. And what I love about that is he isn't then twisted himself. Like you can worry that your characters that are your heroes, if they are exposed to the kind of evil or brutality or shame yeah. or criticism that he is, will something in them crumble? Will something in them change? Will a cynicism creep in? And we're living through this time in history right now where people are so quick to shame one another and to cancel each other and to be so angry and to say things we can't take back and to criticize. And I realized like kindness is an, a sort of an old-fashioned virtue that we, we're so quick to pass by these days and maybe to write somebody off as weaker or, you know, sometimes I think about the loud voices on social media. They're the ones that are sarcastic or funny or edgy or cool or critical or they can eviscerate someone in an argument. But the mm -hmm. people who consistently put out kindness Sometimes I think we're tempted to just pass by them quickly, like, oh, that was nice. But what I have really become convinced of the older I get is that kindness is the true courage. Kindness has battle scars, but it continues to, to show up and believe the best of others and to say it, to speak it. And there's a scene at the end of Glass Houses where one of the character traits of Gamash is his kindness. And whenever he's introduced in any book and somebody meets him, it's one of the things Penny always writes, that whoever meets him is surprised by his kindness, how he has kind eyes. And at mm -hmm. the end of Glass Houses, after a trauma that they've lived through, there's this moment where a judge and a prosecutor are coming to talk to Chief Inspector Gamash to hear what happened to try to understand and i'm not going to i'm not going to give away any of those twists i'm just going to describe this moment where they come to the door and they knock and he answers and he has been the victim of a brutal attack in order to protect the goodness and the ordinariness of life and this is the scene it says they had heard through the information and misinformation swirling around government buildings that Gamash himself had sustained some injuries, but they weren't prepared for the bruised face, his one eye almost swollen shut, the cuts where the boot had scraped flesh off bone. When he'd opened the door to them, Judge Coravo had searched his eyes, worried that they'd been hollowed out by the events in the village, in the woods that the warmth would be replaced by bitterness, the kindness by cruelty, and the decency would be gone completely. The look of pain she saw now wasn't new, and it wasn't physical. It had always been there in Gamasha's eyes, like an astigmatism that meant he saw things slightly differently from the rest of them. He saw the worst of humanity, 
but he also saw the best, and she was relieved to see that the decency remained stronger even than the pain, stronger than ever. And I just like, I could cry (laughs) reading that because it's just a reminder when I close these books, like, yes, Lisa Joe, no matter how much cruelty we see in the world today, how terrible the headlines might be, how much we might feel like injustice constantly wins. Man, Christ calls us to remember what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, to champion goodness and righteousness and faithfulness, all the things that love is. I think about that 1 Corinthians 13 chapter about how love believes the best, how it never fails. And I think that's why these books are like that, like they're like a love song to me that is preaching gospel back to us. Lisa Joe, this is what Christ means. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's it's just vividly painted for us in the pages of these books, in the lives of people who aren't real. And yet <laughs> the choices they make, the struggles they overcome, and how they choose still to see the world, that is very real. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it can be in our own lives. Yeah, I think that is exactly my experience, and I'll put it in my own words. These books help me. They help me find God or remember God in the tangible world itself of ordinary life. So God is love, and these books help remind me to look for God, the God who is love, in um, the sitting down to dinner, you know, with family and friends, in the making of a special stew in the winter. I mean, there's an Easter egg hunt in one. I mean, just in yeah. the, the ordinary rhythms of life, here is God, the standing on a bridge and watching a river flow under it. You know, all these moments and places in these novels, um, there's something more than just, like nothing is just what it is, right? The Beaster is not just a restaurant. The river that flows through this town is not just any old river. I mean, everything is sort of extra in a way that I actually believe is true of the world um, because it was made by God's own hands. It was made as a place where we would could, as humans, come to understand our maker and understand our maker as love. I, I think often of this village, I think of you as fitting in there so well, but I like it because you would fit because they love rhythm and beauty and meals and cooking. But I would fit too because there's also room for people who don't cook and just like to eat mm-hmm. and tell yes, stories. Yes. Like Everybody <laughs> is welcome there. But I laughed yeah. because one of the books, I've talked about glass houses so much. The, the newest one is actually called... Um, Um, All the Devils Are Here, and it's from a quote by Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, and it says, Hell is empty and all the devils are here. And uh, so I haven't talked too much about the newest one because I know people are reading it. It's really powerful. But in Glass Houses, one of the things that happens right before this big, pivotal, terrible, traumatic scene is as the families are kind of making their way to grill their salmon, they stop, and one of the characters, uh, Gamash's wife, Ryan Marie bends down and picks a weed and gives it to her best friend. And it's because she's such a terrible gardener. And she used to think that the weeds were flowers. And every time I read that scene, I think of you and me. <laughs> I think there's a place for me in Three Pines as well. <laughs> My gardener, Christy, and for me who loves good food. And it made me think about you and how much you invest in us who don't know about gardens or food or poetry and how you pour into us. And I feel like I need to remind you to remind our listeners, because I don't think you've ever told anybody here, that you actually host a garden club and that people can be part of it. And I want them to. (laughs) I want them to learn the difference between weeds and flowers. 
from you, Christy. That's true. That's true. I think I was really quiet about it when I started it in the spring. I mean, first of all, it was March. And soon after, so many other things were happening, right? Like life went pretty crazy. But yeah, since March, I've been hosting um, an online garden club, which means um, I want to talk gardening with you and it doesn't matter where you live. There, I am, there, I have a, a member of my garden club who lives in South Africa. There are gardeners who are learning to garden in um, the UK. I mean, so yeah, we're all, we're all over. But yeah, if any of our listeners want to join me there, um, it's blackbarngardenclub.com and we'll have the link in the show notes, blackbarngardenclub.com. And I'm actually thinking Thank you, Lisa Joe, for mentioning it this week because um, normally it's close to membership. I just open it a couple times a year just to make sure that, you know, during the rest of the year, I'm just focusing on on those who are who are already there and in our community. Um, but I'm opening up membership for two weeks, um, October 5th. So if you want to spend time being inspired and learning about gardening, um, this winter, or it'll be summer for you if you garden in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, membership will open October 5th. And um, yeah, it would be fun. Uh, it would be fun to um, share my love of gardening with any of you who are listening in, uh, in that space, blackbarngardenclub.com. Thanks, Lisa Joe. Well, it just feels like something that Ryan Marie and Gamash would totally join. <laughs> like, I just think of you and your garden club. And yes. I, I love how accessible and down to earth it is and how it doesn't make newbies feel left out. It just feels like uh. a space to celebrate the completely ordinary things that Three Pines mm-hmm. stands for. So I hope if you've listened to this, even if you never read the books, that what we've shared is a reminder to all of us, especially as we head into a season of gratitude and thankfulness and um, and food, you know, I feel like this we're sort of embarking on the food season of the year is how I would yeah. describe yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've done the outdoor season. Now we're doing the food season. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that these books would just be a reminder, this conversation would be a reminder that these things we take for granted really are they're anchors in the storm. And mm-hmm. anytime you find a lighthouse, you just want to tell someone about it. So these books are that for us. I, If you're heading into winter, if you haven't had something to look forward to in a long time, man, if you haven't ever read any of these, I'm now officially jealous of you because you have you have enough to get you through the whole winter. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll put the link here in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you if you have read them. I'm at Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm at Christy Purifoy. And oh, wait, before we go, Christy, we absolutely mm-hmm. have to read some of our new reviews that have been coming in because this is now oh, one of yes, my favorite yes. things. When we start to read reviews here on the podcast episode, then people message me and say, oh my gosh, you read my review. That was so much fun. <laughs> and so it's always fun to pick a couple to be able to read to you guys. Um, so here we go. Let's see. A bunch of new ones have come in, which is really fun. Here's one from, I think it's Micah. M-I-C-C-A, Micah. She says, love this podcast so much. I have laughed and cried while listening to this podcast. It is seriously my favorite. Christy and Lisa Joe are superb storytellers. Wow, I will take that considering we just talk books all day. These ladies are intelligent and relatable, and their love for family and the Lord is obvious. Highly recommend. Oh, my gosh, Micah, thank you so much for that. Gosh, thinking about Louise Penny, storytelling is our favorite thing. So when people say we're good storytellers, that feels really nice. Oh, and here's another one that fits with that. Uh, Do you need a smile and a laugh today? If so, listen in on these two gems. Thank you. These two gems as they have a conversation and tell good stories. Ooh, thank you. Listening to Lisa, Joe, and Christy is always just what I needed to hear. Always a timely message. That was from LHJLLR Mommy. 
Um, thank you. I think, yeah, just knowing that people appreciate our very ordinary stories, um, but I hope they do shine with the kind of goodness that we find in Louise Penny's stories as well. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.